This past year has been a hard time for everyone, and it's important that we are able to hear a wide range of experiences from various perspectives. So we will be hearing a variety of personal stories of family and friends. Hello, everyone. You're listening to Oral Traditions. My name is Erin McCarthy, Interim Chair of the Communication Department at Columbia College Chicago. The stories we are about to share are by students in the 2021 Oral Traditions class. In this episode, we explore the many nuances of life during this time of uncertainty. First, we hear Katrina Steffi and her grandmother talking about life in the Windy City. My grandma, Patricia Morowski, has always been one of my role models and best friends. I have always looked up to her ability to keep going when times get tough and her ability to show love and care at all the right times. She is now 80 years old and she hasn't changed one bit. My grandma has been a Rockford, Illinois native for the past 35 years. But before settling down in Rockford, she had the time of her life living in the heart of Chicago. At the young age of 18, she moved out of her parents' home and ended up in the Windy City. The year was 1960, and the city was full of colorful music and civil rights movements. We shall not, we shall not be moved. We shall not, we shall not. Moving out of the house at 18 was not an easy thing to do in her situation. She did not come from a lot of money, but she had enough ambition to go forward with what she wanted to do. And that was to live in downtown Chicago. She always tells me, if I had Frankie playing and a meal to eat that day, all was good in the world. She is of course referring to the Frank Sinatra. She credits his music for being one of the few things that encouraged her to seek out the world and to try new things. Is my kind of town, Chicago is my kind of town, Well, how did she start out in Chicago? Let's find out. I I worked all through high school and stuff, and my mother, she didn't want me to clean. She didn't teach me how to Uh cook. I didn't know how to clean. They had to teach me how to do all those things. I enrolled some classes at Patricia Stevens Finishing School. I'm not sure if that's still there. The school where they teach you how to do makeup and wardrobe and all kinds of things, pretty much to get you into the working world. And so that's what I chose to do. I started in January of 1960. I always thought I was Miss Independent. Chicago, I got hooked up with a woman's boarding house on North State Parkway, right off of Rush Street, which was fun. And there were tons of girls there that I met. And shortly thereafter, I think I only stayed there for like two months. Mm -hmm. And I met a gal and we rented an apartment on Elm Street. And then I got my first job in two months of being there too. That's one of the reasons I moved into the apartment. What kind of job was that? At American Airlines in Reservations. Mm -hmm. Did you like that job? It was a great experience. I wanted to go to the airlines because I wanted to be a stewardess, and I was only 18. But it was a really good job. American Airlines was a fabulous company to work for. After working at American Airlines for a couple months, 
Little did she know, her whole world was going to change. She was spotted on the streets of Chicago by a modeling agency, and she was thrilled. She actually started modeling the very next week. She was modeling at every private event downtown. She was in the popular magazines, and she even started in a Thanksgiving commercial that year that aired in Chicago. This was no easy road, and she had to work day in and day out to maintain her modeling career. But she credits her calm and honest attitude at the time to keep her in the eye of the public, and she credits her ability to keep on trying when she faced barriers. She knows it's cliche, but she truly believes that she got where she was with hard work and a bit of luck. There's nothing more to it. I met friends right away. In those days, everybody was from someplace else, it seems like, and mm-hmm. everybody wanted to meet people, and everybody was very friendly. I met a lot of girls at Patricia Stevens. I've met a lot of girls at the boarding house and then at work. I then got into the social life of Chicago and had a great time. (laughs) Do you feel at that time that it was easier to make friends? First of all, I don't think Chicago will ever be the same, Mm -hmm. unfortunately. I'm not sure. I would hope that... There are areas where you could make friends easily, but with all that's going on in the world today, Katrina, it's very hard to say because you, it's not safe in a lot of areas that used to be fabulous in Chicago. If you could change something from that time period in your life, what would you change? I don't know. I was, I thought I was doing the right thing and mm-hmm. I was successful in what I did. I mean, I, my parents thought I'd be home within six months and I proved differently. I never turned back. I was just moving forward and mm-hmm. that turned into a success. So I don't know. I think the reason I survived is because I was making good money. I would say you're very street smart. Do you feel like you've, you got all those street smarts from living downtown in Chicago? Oh, I think I had pretty much that part of me before I went there, yeah. or I wouldn't felt, I would not have felt comfortable moving to Chicago if I didn't, I wasn't aware of what was going on in the world. She proved her parents wrong, and she was prepared for what Chicago might bring her before moving out of the house. Planning and prepping for your future is more important than dwelling on what has happened in the past. She paved the way for models after her, and she did the exact opposite of what her friends did. I can't think of anything I'd change. Am I sorry I didn't go to college? Not really. I think basically most of my friends went to college just to find a husband. They all became teachers. And uh-huh. as soon as they graduated from college, they called me and said, okay, now how do we how do we deal with the real world? It is apparent that my grandmother took the road less traveled and became successful because of it. If you want to accomplish your goals in life, Separating yourself from the crowd might be necessary, and you should know that it's okay to do so. Like I said from the beginning, my grandmother inspires me in more ways than one. Her advice is something I take seriously. What advice do you have for me when I move out of my parents' house? I think you've got a pretty good handle on money. Okay. (laughs) That's the most important thing, honey. You have to be able... Make sure you have enough in savings if you get stuck. You know, I didn't have a job when I moved to Chicago. Yeah. I was 
only 18, mm-hmm. but I figured it out real fast. But those days were different. I would say really search the job market okay. and also search where you want to be. Do you have a specific place you want to move to? Well, I mean, you don't have to have it written in stone, but like, do you want to move to New York? Do you want to go to California? Do you want to go to Chicago? Do you want to go to Milwaukee, Mm -hmm. Madison, college town? It depends. You have to see where the area is that, that has the most need for your, your, what you want to do. And I mean, I always took very, I always have treasured my personal things, my clothes. Mm -hmm. I've always taken good care of my clothes, et cetera. And I've always made sure I had enough money in the bank to cover my expenses. The thing that, that's from my era, honey. I, today's a whole different ballgame. I always hung up everything and mm-hmm. you know, was meticulous about my clothes. Because yeah. I, I worked hard for the money to buy them. Her ambition about life inspires me every day. The things that she has taught me, such as taking good care of my clothes, have influenced the person I am today. I learned that enjoying my career is crucial and that having an idea of what to do in the future is very helpful. If I find myself in a bind, I always think, what would grandma do? If Katrina didn't know it already, she inherited a lot from her grandmother. Family is valuable and it's important to preserve the stories for future generations. A great way to continue the legacy is through the food we make, and that's what Mariana Kuntz is going to do. She talks with her mother, Monica Montgomery, about a family recipe, hot water cornbread, and that is the key to this generation's heart. What's your earliest memory of Granny making hot water cornbread? My earliest memory... Like how old were you? Is, I mean, she's always she's always made it. So my earliest memory would probably be at the age of five. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow, that was young. Oh, yeah. She, yeah. And that's only because I don't remember anything prior to five, but, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, what made you fall in love with hot water cornbread? I just love the taste. I mean, they were just... They seem like simple, but they were just like these little cakes, um, the, the, the circular cakes, um, kind of thick in, in size. And if we were eating greens or, or green beans or any type of vegetable, you know, they would be our little, um, the bread for our meal. So, I mean, it's just good to bite into. And then if she made them, if she added sugar... It would make it even like a little treat. So it, I just remember it being good, nice and crispy. Granny learned how to make hot water cornbread from her mother and had been making it before my mom was even born. Because of its few ingredients, it's a staple that's low cost and quick to make. Mom is still perfecting the recipe to this day. The recipe literally only calls for cornmeal, sugar, salt, and boiling water but you only need the sugar if you want that extra sweetness. For my mom, it takes 30 minutes to prep. Well, I mean, yeah, it took me 30 minutes to prep, but it took my mom probably 10 minutes. 
But uh, it would take me longer because, you know, my mom didn't use, she didn't, she didn't need to measure out anything. She could eyeball her whatever she needed to make. She eyeballed it, no, no recipes, just out of her head, eyeballing. I couldn't do that. So when I actually sat down and asked her how to make it, she could only tell me what she thought. Like, oh, you use a, just put it in a cup. Use a cup full of this, use a, a spoonful of this. And I need measurements <laughs> in order to make it work. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> I mean, I would do according to what she told me, but it would never come out right. I'd Even with the simple ingredients, like the cornmeal, you ha- and she she stressed to me you have to make sure that the cornmeal mixture is you have to have it put the very 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 hot water with it it's got to be steaming hot water when you mix it together and then right before you get ready to drop your spoonfuls your large spoonfuls into your hot uh, hot oil you know the vegetable oil you got to make sure your oil is super hot i'm like okay Oh my goodness. Every time I do it, they come out like little rocks and they were flat like pancakes. So I'm not sure what I did wrong. Oh, okay. Yeah. And how long did it take for you to cook? Um, well, seeing as though you're dropping them like uh, they're separate, they're little uh, individual um, uh, circular pieces of, of cornbread. So, I mean, you can make like with, with uh, a, a, a mixture, a batch of um, hot water cornbread mixture that you make, you can probably get about 10 to 15, 10 to 12 out of that batch. So, I mean, that that would take me, when I tried it, that would that took me like, I'd say half an hour to 45 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, I'm still perfecting the recipe because I haven't quite gotten it the way that my mother would make it. And that's my goal is to get it the way she made it because... That's how I like it. And I know what it should taste like. But my issue is either it's too mealy. It tastes like I have too much meal uh, in my batter. Um, and they, they come out way too hard, I guess, which means I'm leaving it in too long. And they're not rising like they should. And now I'm questioning myself, like, should I use self-rising cornmeal? <laughs> so, yeah, it's still a work in progress. So I think the key thing to understand here is that you don't have this recipe perfected, as we've stated before, because you don't have exact measurements to use. Like you said, Granny didn't measure stuff out, so you don't have exact measurements to use. You have to just kind of test it out until you find what works. Exactly. Exactly. I'll test it out till I find what works. And I, I will. I'll, I'll perfect it one day. Yeah, so... Why is this recipe so important to you and why is it important for you to perfect it? It's so important to me because, I mean, first and foremost, it's just really good. I loved it. I love it when uh, I when she would make my favorite, which is uh, pinto beans. You know, I'd eat it with that or you eat it with your greens. It's just, it's just a part of that southern cooking that my mother would do. It was just a part of every meal. If it wasn't cornbread, it was hot water cornbread. But, um... Yeah, and so so that's why it's important to me because it's good because the it's tradition. I want to keep her tradition going. And uh so that's why it's important. And it's something that I'd like to pass down to you and yeah. your sister and brother. Mhm. 
And I would so, love yeah. to learn how to cook it. Yeah. Yeah. My mom works at a law firm and has been working from home since March 2020 as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. She spends much more time at home now because of this. Instead of taking the time to commute to downtown Chicago, working <clears throat> 9 to 5, and then commuting back home, she's at home for her entire workday. Lucky for us, this means she has more time in the kitchen as well. So, has mom gotten better at making hot water cornbread since she started working from home? You know, I've actually been uh, really trying my hand at it. And to be honest with you, I have gotten better. I have gotten better. It's, I mean, mm. it's still going to be, it's not like my mom's, but it's getting close. Okay. Well, thanks, Mom, for helping me tell this story and for giving me more and more to remember Granny by each and every day. Oh, you're welcome, sweetie. The hot water cornbread recipe is really special to me, and it means a lot to me because it's a tradition in my family, and it's been around, you know, it's been a part of meals as long as I can remember. So uh, it's just, it's something that I've grown so used to, and it's honestly... Just another memory of Granny. So, thank you so much for listening. Practice makes perfect, as we learned from Mariana and her mother. And the way to the heart is through the stomach, especially when hot water cornbread is involved. We're listening to Oral Traditions a three-part series of personal stories of life and family in a time of uncertainty from WCRX-FM and Columbia College, Chicago. Maya Henry Mangy recalls sticking out as she grew up and how that made her into the person she is today. Growing up in a predominantly white school with thick, unruly curls and darker skin was very confusing for me as a child. I couldn't figure out why I looked different from everyone else, nor did I fully understand the acute anxiety that came with trying to find my own identity in that environment. I grew up in southwestern Ohio with one white parent and one black parent, and my biracial identity quickly became something that drew attention I didn't know what to do with. I remember everything from stares and whispers at the grocery store to strangers coming up to me on the street to touch my hair and tell me how exotic I looked. No matter how much I stayed out of the sun or flat ironed my hair, I still stood out. When I was 13 years old, I begged my mother to let me get a relaxer because the physical and emotional pain that came from struggling with my hair on a daily basis had become too much to bear. Reluctantly, she agreed, and it would have happened if my aunt on my dad's side hadn't taken action. My Auntie Liz was someone I grew up admiring and looking up to. Her pride, attitude, and the confidence with which she held herself always wowed me. But the ever-changing, most transformative part of her was always her hair. On one occasion, I visited my aunt in her apartment and saw that she had gotten hundreds of micro braids installed. They were so tiny and intricate, I couldn't even imagine how long they must have taken to do, and they were full of color. Golden braiding hair was expertly woven into the style, and when she wrapped it up on top of her head, it looked like a shimmering crown fit for royalty. My aunt never had the same hairstyle twice. She was also adamant about going to a Senegalese woman with a workshop out of her basement. Never a salon. Once she had stepped in to prevent me from getting a relaxer, 
My aunt set up a braiding appointment for me and took me to the beauty supply store to get everything I needed. Braiding hair, olive oil spray to moisturize my scalp, mousse to tame flyaways, and gold cuffs to decorate the braids with. I felt like a kid in a candy store, surrounded by all of those wigs and hair pieces, creams and butters, mousses, jellies and oils in every color imaginable. I would later look back on this moment and realize it was the first time I felt a real sense of pride in my blackness and community with other black women. I got through my whole nine hour braiding appointment with minimal tears, as well as hours and hours of the Disney Channel. The whole process felt incredibly tedious, but the confidence I felt walking out of it was unlike anything I'd ever experienced before. On my aunt's suggestion, we braided in caramel-colored hair to bring out my natural highlights, and we curled the ends with the hot water set method. I'll never forget how shocked I was to see the lady doing my hair approaching me with a bucket of scalding hot water, but the instant curls plus the cooling sensation of the olive oil spray on my scalp was a whole new level of bliss. Years later, after having learned the best ways to not only manage but nourish and experiment with my curls, I feel a sense of freedom my inner child would have never imagined possible. Meeting and sharing hair care tips with other black women has filled me with the same sense of pride I first saw in my aunt all those years ago. It is with that growth and sense of community I learned to be as comfortable in my skin as I am today. I now know that no matter what, I'll never question my identity again. Growing up as what society deems different can be scary, but Maya's embracement of who she is can help us all find community through our own uniqueness. This concludes our three-part series of oral traditions. If you've missed any of the episodes, find us anywhere you listen to podcasts by searching oral traditions. This is a collaboration between the Department of Communication and WCRX-FM. The show was produced by Shelby Steele. I'm Erin McCarthy, Interim Chair of the Communication Department at Columbia College Chicago. Thanks for listening. <laughs>